Episode 123 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with Lois Laurel, the daughter of Stan Laurel, the English comic actor, writer and film director, who was one half of the world-famous comedy duo Laurel and Hardy, alongside Oliver Hardy. Lois, whose mother was the first of Stan's four wives, had a brother named Stanley who was born two months premature in 1930 and tragically died after nine days. Lois died in 2017 at the age of 89. My interview with her took place in 1991 in London, where she'd come to promote a colourised version of the 1937 Laurel and Hardy film Way Out West, being released on video. Well, it's um, very exciting um, that uh, Way Out West um, in colour is going to be released here in um, the UK. That must seem a bit strange after all these years, as it were. Yes, um, it was released in uh, Los Angeles a few years ago, but to know that now the rest of the world <laughs> will see it or in UK, um, because they were really missing a lot. It, it's done so tastefully, and it went over so well in the States. Even a lot of the people who weren't really ready to see a lot of the fi- a lot of the films uh, colorized, uh, you know, uh, they accept Way Out West. Do you accept the colorization? What do you think about it? Oh, I think it's wonderful if it's done right. And fortunately, it is. And uh, I know when we were called into the Howard Studios in Los Angeles about 1983, I believe it was, or 84, and we didn't have any idea what we were going to see. They just said they wanted to show us something. And we were thrilled when we saw it. And as I say, when it's done well, it's great. And I think that particular picture, uh, Way Out West, it looks, it's doubly enthusiastic, you know. Have there been people who haven't been so happy with colorization? Oh, yes. Um, as I said, uh, if it's done right. At the time, the Hal Roach Film Classics released this picture in the States, or this video in the States. It was their own company, and I believe it was done in Canada. And um, there was a couple of other companies that, that weren't up to par with this. So I, that's why we're so thrilled with it. I'm glad that it was done by uh, Colorization Incorporated, which was, as I say, a, a part of Hal Roach Industries in Canada. What do you think Stan and Ollie would have thought about it? Oh, I'm sure they would love it. I'm sure they would love it. Uh, you're, you know, here sort of representing them in a way again. Do you like doing that sort of thing? Do you like the fact that you're representing them at this stage? Oh, I'm very proud to. People seem to be so thirsty uh, for the no- of any little bits and pieces of, of knowledge of um, what they were really like and what were they like working and what were they like off screen. And it, it's really amazing after all these years, but... They really were, originally, in the 30s when they started making the films, they were more popular over here and in the foreign countries than they were in, in the United States. So what were they like? Oh, they were wonderful, and of course, I'm prejudiced, but I thought they were very funny. I think they work very well together as a team. They work very hard. My father was a perfectionist, and they did scenes over and over and over again um, to get it just right. And I think perhaps all that hard work has paid off and why um, the interest in their films has lasted so long and are, that they're so popular. How can you explain that? What is, do you think is the key to it, the fact that they are so popular still today? Well, number one, the chemistry between them, of them being teamed together. Um, it was just incredible. Uh, they had so much respect for one another. And then my father had writers, of course, but he worked well with the writers and then worked with the editors as well after the scenes were shot. 
Sometimes you'd get cleared of the theater to a sneak preview, as they called it. And if he wasn't satisfied, they'd go back in and do it another way or pick another way they had done it if it was previously um, shot. It just would depend. Because if it if just didn't, a scene wouldn't get the laughs that he felt it should get. He thought something was wrong. How do you think uh, he would feel about today's humor and today's productions and films? I think he'd be shocked by some of the some of the humor in some of the films that we see today. My father was very Victorian, and he saw no necessity for foul language. He felt if comedians and stand-up comics had to resort to that, that they really weren't all that talented. Now, when you were born, your father was already a big star. No, not really. They had. I was born in December of 1927, and they had only been signed in 1926, so that they were really starting their rise up the ladder. I think I probably was nine or ten before I really thought my father was somebody. Um, maybe he was a, a, a movie star. Certainly I knew he was an actor and went to work every day and came home. And, but uh, by, the, by that time, about 1934 or 35, they really came into, into um, being sought after and... Um, a lot of uh, write-ups about Laurel and Hardy. And when they came to the, well, 1932, they were both amazed. They came here on a promotional tour, and uh, they couldn't believe the crowds that met them at the train station and at the boat. They, they were overwhelmed by it all because, as I said, they were really bigger here than they were in the States. Now, we think of superstars today in certain terms of the paparazzi and everything else. How was their superstardom in compared to what they would have had today? Well, I, that's a hard question. Um, my father always felt that he made B pictures. He didn't, he felt Chaplin made the A pictures and that they made B pictures. I don't know whether they'd be, if they were, if they were making films today. Of course, in those days, they didn't make as many films as they make today. It's kind of hard to... <laughs> Was he a funny guy in, in real life? Oh, yes. Fortunately, for the family... He didn't feel he had to be funny 100% of the time. Some comedians feel they're expected to be funny 100% of the time. And um, I think they were just two ordinary people off the screen. Now, I heard that when Ollie died that Stan was too upset to carry on, basically, to work anymore, to act anymore. They were obviously very close. Is that the case? Very, very close. My father had had a stroke in 1955, and the doctor told my father he didn't think it was a good idea to go to Oliver Hardy's funeral. And he was very upset by this, only because what would the public think? That here they worked together so much and were so close, and one not going to the other's funeral. But I think the close friends, of course, well understood. But he really lost the excitement of, of working, and he felt he really wasn't a success on his own. And he had chances to do writing especially for uh, Art Carney and, and Jerry Lewis and, and some of the other, uh, Dick Van Dyke. But he was always there for them if they wanted to come and talk till midnight. I mean, he enjoyed that. But he really didn't want to be paid for it. And, and they did call on him for his advice. How friendly were the two of them when they weren't working? Oh, very, very close. They were much closer than brothers. There was n My mother said there was never, ever a cross word between them. And as much as I w was around the two of them at the studio, I never saw any any uh, sign of displeasure with one 
Now, your father and, and Oliver obviously worked extremely hard. Did that mean that it sacrificed his family life? I don't think so. He came to functions of mine at, at school, school plays and, of course, my graduation and things like that. But they didn't socialize as much or spend the hours off screen together that they did while they were working, mainly because they had different interests and hobbies. Oliver Hardy loved to run off to the racetrack to play a game of bridge in the evening with people coming into his home or playing golf at Lakeside. And uh, my father loved his home. He spent a lot of time in the garden. He raised Muscovy ducks. And then he had a yacht, and he loved fishing. So, that, as they say, but although my dad would play a little golf at Lakeside if Ollie asked him to, or if my dad asks Ollie to go fishing, Ollie would go fishing. I'm sure he had a good time, but it wasn't his prime interest. What kind of a father was he? Well, he was a wonderful father. I can't say he was strict, but he... I knew when to, to be quiet or if he had the writers over. I knew that my time wasn't that time, that I would go off and do other things. But I can remember one time he had some writers coming over and he said, well, I'm going to be busy now for a few hours and perhaps you ought to go to the theater with the kids, the movie house. So the chauffeur, we piled all the kids in the car and I ran back and asked my father for some money. And he said, well, how much do you want? And I said, $10. And he said, Ten dollars, he said. What do you think money grows on trees? I thought he was serious, but he was really kidding. So he probably gave me twenty dollars. I don't remember, but then in those days, you you know, for a dollar and a half, you could go to the theater and have a candy bar and a big box of popcorn and a drink, and you know, it was very inexpensive. But I thought he was serious when he said ten dollars. You know, so when I had gotten home, the riders were gone, and as we drove in the driveway, it was probably fall or autumn and um, on the tree he had tied all these $10 bills and $5 bills all over the tree and he said you see money does grow on trees <laughs> he had a certain personality which came across in the films a sort of almost a wimpish personality was he like that? no not at all <laughs> there was a time when um, I went to the studio and in the screening room I could see Oliver Hardy beating up on my father and I decided that I didn't like this so my father wrote a film called One Good Turn, and he really got the best of Oliver Hardy. So uh, he was, but I, I know what you mean by, uh, on the screen he portrayed that land, you know, soulful, um, not stupid, but um, I'm lost for a word here. That <laughs> Tell me a bit more about your family. Were the brothers and sisters you had, or? No, I'm an only child, and um, the Hardys didn't have any children. So you can imagine how spoiled I was at Christmas time and birthday time. <laughs> My mother had been an actress, Lois Nielsen. Actually, she worked with Oliver Hardy much before she worked with my father. That's where my father met her. And what kind of a, a background were you all from? Well, my mother was half Danish, and she was reared in a little town in north of uh, Los Angeles called Santa Cruz. And after graduation, before she went into films, she was in training to be a nurse at St. Luke's Hospital in San Francisco. And when that was a bit too much for her and such to be on her feet that many hours a day, Zazu Pitts said, why don't you come to Hollywood? And they had done school plays together in Santa Cruz and had the same drama coach. So my mother came down and visited uh, Zazu, and uh, Zazu got her her first job in a Mary Pickford picture in 1918 called The Little Princess. But my mother didn't work in films after she married my father. He preferred that she stay home and 
would just be a housewife. When the divorce happened, what happened to you? You stayed with your mother. Yes, but I was every weekend almost with my father, um, except, of course, times when he was traveling but um, and school vacations. And I, I was on the lot at the Root Studios um, a good deal of the time. I spent probably more time there than I did in my own backyard. But I had the Argane children to play with, so it was wonderful. Of course, my, she, w she wasn't my father's widow. My father and mother were divorced in 1935, but they, they stayed friends, uh, probably because maybe they wouldn't have if there hadn't been a child involved. But um, we had celebrations together, Christmas and so forth. And she got along with two of his wives very, very well. You might say they were almost best friends. Is your mother still with us? Or is no, no, she passed away last year at the age of 95. Uh, you yourself have, have got married, obviously. Yes. Tell, tell me a bit about your husband and how you met him. I met Tony through the Appreciation Society Sons of the Desert here in London, or at Leeds Castle here. I had met him just how do you do in at Los Angeles at the Hollywood 80 International Convention. Every other year they have a convention. And so I really actually said how do you, Lucille Hardy Price introduced me to him. It was just how do you do. And then in October I came over to a function for um, the helpmates tent here in London, and I met him at Leeds Castle again. Do you have any children from... Not from Tony. I was previously married, yes. And I have two children, 41 and 42. Randy and Laurel, Elizabeth. My daughter has three children, 18, 14, and 13. And my son has a baby two years old. Whereabouts did your father used to live? Well, he was born here in Ulverston. Yeah. And he's a Lancashire lad, as he always very proudly said. But uh, he lived in Beverly Hills and then Cheviot Hills, which was just about a five-minute drive from the Howard Studios. And then um, he moved to, oh, at that time, then he had a ranch in Canoga Park, which is very close to where we live in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, his last years were spent in Santa Monica. But as you say, I mean, he, he's essentially British, or we like to think of him as being British. Did he, he never became a citizen of America. Did he consider himself very British oh, and very. hoping he'd maybe come back here one day? I think had he been in better health and if his widow, or my stepmother, uh, who was Russian, um, I don't think she would have liked it here. I think it would have been just a bit too fast a pace. I think he might have come back. But by the time he was in his 70s, I'm sure he knew that he would live out his days. But he had a lovely apartment overlooking the harbor, uh, the bay at, bay at Santa Monica. And my husband said when he saw it that he knew why he was so happy there because it did remind him of England. Have you been to visit his birthplace in England or are you going to go and visit No, him? I've been, I was there in 1979 and again in uh, 81. And do, do you have a sort of special affinity with Britain, would you say, because of, you know, because of his links? Well, I think, and I'm growing up in a half British household and with an English nanny, I think it was so easy for me when I married Tony to, I mean, I prefer it here, really, actually, than living in the Los Angeles area. However, uh, with that many grandchildren, it'd be pretty hard to transport them. <laughs> what or about transplant them, I should say. What about the name Laurel? Has that been quite difficult to live with, in a way, or are you... No. Is it something which has been a great advantage to your life, or has it not been a cross Well, I, I'm sure there's um, been advantages. The doors have been opened a bit because of the name. to get better tickets at the theater and so forth. But uh, I don't see any disadvantage at all. Was there ever any question of you following in your father's footsteps? No, I really didn't. I love the business, I loved it, and I love the picture business. But I had no desire to be in front of the camera or on the stage. 
I did go to drama school with Marilyn Monroe, and she was a chum of mine uh, for a period, I mean, while we were there at school. But I, I just didn't, as I say, have the desire, and yet I love the business, you know. Was there never a question of you going in any of the Laurel and Hardy films? I mean, not even a uh, when, I, when he did Pack Up Your Troubles, they considered me, but by the time they wrote the script and got ready to shoot it, I was really too old, so they used Jacqueline. You wish you'd done it? No. <laughs> no, she did a wonderful job. And I, w- I would have been too old. You're a About a year too old. Are you still very involved in the business? Obviously, your husband is. Yes, and, you know, on the fringe of it, you might say. Um, I think my 13-year-old granddaughter, who we brought to England last May, we were here for 19 days, and um, she loved the excitement of London and the theaters and the shows, and and um, I think we might have <laughs> one there that will definitely go into the business. You think so, carrying on the family yes. name, or is the ne- is the, are you going to keep the name Laurel throughout well, the generation? Well, that's, t- I don't know. At the moment, she goes by the name of Cassidy Brooks. But we'll see what. But she's um, taking dancing lessons, and she ice skates 15 hours a week. And uh, we homeschool the children, the two middle ones, because the schools are so bad in Los Angeles. So we have a home study program, and they work at home three hours, and then they go off and and um, pursue. Like with the ice skating, she know what. There is no way she could spend 15 hours a week on the ice and go to school because it just isn't the time. Is she and, and the rest of your family very aware of the sort of heritage that you've inherited, as it were? Like, do you see the old movies and so oh, on? Oh, yes, and even the two-year-old, when she sees my father on the screen, she says, great-grandpa, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, two years old. I mean, but we, now obviously, we, you know, pointed out. How do you feel when you see him on the screen? Very proud, and I think, as I say, the, because my dad was a perfectionist and worked so hard in all the phases of the production, I think it's paid off. And that's why they've, the generation after generation, um, they're still laughing. Is there anything particular that you have, a souvenir of your father that you really treasure? Mm-hmm. Several. Oh, a lot of things. But I think my most prized possession is a silver, um, it's sort of a hot chocolate type mug and uh, in, in silver that he remembers going to the blacksmith shop in Overston. And um, all the children had one maid, and he remembers watching his maid, and it has his initials on him, uh, ASJ, which was Arthur Stanley Jefferson. I think that's my... And I have his watch, his Movado watch, which to me is priceless. Yes, and I do have his water wrap in. Do you get um, a lot of people writing to you from all over the world still? Um, quite a bit. Um, most of them are, are members of the Sons of the Desert, because there are you know, chapters all over the world. And, of course, they get my address through the Intratent Journal. But some what things them, do they say to you? What sort of things? What were they really like? Was he funny at home? What was it like growing up? What did my friends think of my father? But, you see, I went to school with children whose parents were in the business, so it wasn't any big deal. I mean, I didn't feel any different, really. A fellow from France wanted me to Xerox everything I owned, you know, photocopy and contracts, everything, and send it to him. He would pay for it all and send it to him. But, I mean, I would be 20 years Xeroxing everything we had. And What do you suggest to people who want to write to you and want to know a bit more about your father? I will always suggest a book like um, uh, The Magic, which is the best, newest book out, called The Magic Behind the Movies by Randy Scredfett, which can be gotten here in England as well, um, because it does answer really every, I think, every question 
that anybody would think to ask is in that book. When was the last time you saw your father before he died? Three days before he died. Really? Can you tell me about that? Well, he wasn't a bit ill. We'd been over just to visit. So it was such a shock when we got the call that, um, that he was under the weather. And, I mean, in that morning, my stepmother said, don't come. I mean, she didn't know. She just said it's, you know, so cold out, and I'm afraid he might think it's worse than it is, you know. And um, by 2 o'clock, he was gone. He did have throat cancer, but he didn't know it. But it was just a combination of uh, the flu and then a stroke that took him. I'm glad that he didn't know he had anything worse. And he wouldn't have been happy being an invalid.